Hello, everyone. This is Adam West. Uh, maybe you're thrilled to buy adventures, right, on Batman there? Hmm? My secret true identity, Bruce Wayne, millionaire philanthropist. Anyway, I'm glad to talk to you all and have the privilege of doing the following. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Let him have it, Chris. 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 A button, a switch for everything. What's that? You're listening to Aerial View worldwide on the internet. No tricks now, Chris. What's gonna happen? Try you'll do it already. Come on, you know better than that. Try you'll do it already. This is a hundred-dollar radio. This is a what kind of radio show is this? I've heard his voice on the tape, and it really put the hook in me. I've broadcast many, many times Shortwave on both the Light Pro and the Home Service. Stay in New Jersey, and I don't care who you are. Chris, you get out of school. Let's talk. I'm sick of talking. Stop You get out I know how to talk to people. That's clear as a mother's hotel. I've got this man go on the air, deliver a coded message. You're out of your mind. I'm not out of my mind. Oh, come on now. We're going to listen to what he said on the air. Because all we're dealing with here, after all, is talk show time against a man's life. And I don't see that in any argument. I can see you're really upset about this. Hello. Something to live for. Do you speak English, son? Do you call me so? Apollo, Chris, stand up and wiggle your hips for us. I know that guy, but we're no anymore. He's a nihilist. And I'll smash your face for you, your blockers. Can't you stop, Dan? Huh? Stop it! Shut up! Conversation is a two-way street. I'm all dead. Get the f- out! I'm my I don't get you. I don't get your act at all. And I don't think you do either. I don't think you know what you're trying to do or how to go about it. You're stupid. I heard it over the radio. Real stupid. I'm not just talking about one person. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. Do you understand? Finally! So you will not take me off the air for now over any other speechless time. I'll pitch my voice wherever I please. I'm a famous I just hope this man realizes that being able to communicate with people all over the world carries a serious responsibility. Come on, baby. Show the man your power, baby. Blast him! Give him some of that tone! Oh, man. Showtime. Won't you smile, won't you kiss for this one? 
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. Very auspicious beginning. Sure, the talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about? Whatever happens to bug you, that's what you talk about. Sometimes he agrees with the caller, other times he sets him straight. Shut up and drive faster! Hey, it's me, Chris T. At 9-11 in the morning of uh, Wednesday, March 13th. Um, I don't know how well this thing will pick up my voice because uh, I'm actually recording it in my phone. If I had thought ahead, I would have brought an actual recorder with me. And I would have... Uh, done a little bit of uh, aerial view on the road, what I used to call Roadkill, but as it turns out, there are several other shows now named Roadkill. I should have, uh, I should have trademarked that shit when I had the chance, so, um, but I, I turned the recorder on because I wanted to make an observation, and uh, I know this is going to sound disingenuous coming from me, but man, I hate being on the phone with people. I mean, Aerial View, obviously a phone-in talk show, and I love doing Aerial View, and when people call and we get to chat on the phone, but I hate, for the most part, making phone calls to people and having to be on the phone with people. And um, case in point is a conversation I just had with a woman named Francesca. She's part of this uh, caregivers organization that uh, volunteers to take elderly people to their doctor visits and to, you know go and do their grocery shopping for them and to uh, do pet therapy with them. They do a number of really interesting things, cool things for, for people who are getting up there in age and can't drive themselves anymore, for instance. So, um, I had to reach out to her on behalf of a family member, and uh, Francesca is guilty of what I find a lot of people are guilty of, who um, you need to call for information, and that's the over-explanation. They explain something to you, and then they explain it again, and then they explain it again, and then, just in case you haven't gotten it, they explain it a fourth time. And uh, I'm not sure why they do that. I'm not sure why people do that. Uh, but this time I, I just begged off the phone because I spent about 25, 30 minutes on the phone with her yesterday getting 10 minutes worth of information. And so this time I said, you know, I'm really sorry, but I'm, I'm working and I, and I can't stay on the phone. I lied, in other words, because I'm not working. I am uh, driving to go see a friend of mine, and we're going to get together and work on this guitar amp that I have, and we're going to visit, we're going to do a couple of other things, but I'm not working, per se, and that's that. I mean, I and, and I felt terrible rushing Francesca off the phone, but I, I also couldn't listen to yet more explanations as to why her organization does what they do. I got it. I got it in, in the first 30 seconds when you told me. 
And I, I wonder if people sometimes feel like this sense of guilt over their explanation. And so they feel like, you know, they're going to soften the blow by telling you yet more and more and more and more. And I just don't, I don't get it because, you know, now that I'm sort of helping out with this family member and their medical appointments and their doctor issues and transportation issues and all this, I'm really struck once again by how there's no way to text or email any of these service providers. That for some reason, doctor's offices and medical care people and health professionals, you can't text them and you can't email them. I don't get it. I really don't get it because I, I've made a bunch of phone calls to one health care provider on behalf of this family member, and each time it just goes into voicemail, and each time I don't get called back, and you know, each time I have to wait through this outgoing message, and each time I have to leave an incoming message, and it's just so 1985. I don't understand it. And the only thing I can conclude is, you know, they it must be somehow to accrue to their benefit to not have patients or uh, people who are acting on behalf of patients emailing them or texting them. I, I would think it would make life easier than having to handle a succession of phone calls, but I guess not. I, I don't know. I don't get it. Is there... Does anyone know of a really good reason why you can't text or email a service provider? There's there's a lot of people you can't text or email that you have to get on the phone with. And I I just I don't I don't like it. I don't want to. I don't want to have to get on the phone. What if you do if you're, you know, a mute, if you're incapable of speaking? I'm not sure what the correct term is now for someone who doesn't have uh, the ability to speak are we do we still call them mutes or is that am i being really out of date i needed to share that um and uh this aerial view is actually going to be pre-recorded because on friday i've got a thing with a friend and so uh, we're going to go see some live music and I can't be home at 6 p.m. on Friday, so you're listening to uh, a previously recorded aerial view uh, done in my car. It used to be one of my favorite things to do was just drive around and talk into a microphone and just talk about the things I saw while I was driving. And right now I'm looking at the hospital that they took me to when uh, I fell down the stairs a few years ago backwards and ended up in a world of pain. Uh, and at this hospital, they managed to dislocate my shoulder when they stuck me into this uh, CAT scan or MRI machine or whatever the fuck it was. And they didn't believe me. They didn't believe that they had dislocated my shoulder. And I sat there with my left arm going numb. You know, it starts at your fingertips and it kind of works its way up. And I had to uh, convince them because I, I, I really thought I was in danger of like losing my arm. 
I was starting to go into this little bit of a panic about how, you know, I'm losing circulation to my arm and I'm going to lose my arm. And this is really fucked up. And so they stuck me, you know, they brought me back into x-ray and they x-rayed me again. And they were like, oh yeah, look at that. Dislocated shoulder. And then they gathered up a team of like eight people and discussed the best way to undislocate my shoulder. And, you know, so like 30 minutes later, after giving me cascading levels of painkillers, ratcheting up <laughs> the painkiller effect until I think they finally ended with morphine. Nice, that's a nice set of potholes right there, huh? They uh, they they managed to work my arm back into place. And I'm telling you, man, if you've ever had a dislocated shoulder, it fucking sucks. It fucking hurts. And the whole time you're just sitting there sort of thinking, like what you know, can I lose can I lose my arm because of this shit? Am I gonna lose my arm? Which is what was going through my head. Anyway, that was the that was the hospital. Um, this fucking douchebag, you fucking idiot. Oh god. Um, yeah, uh, what's I, I forget what the what it was called when they took me there, but now it's a Hackensack Meridian Hospital over there on River Road, and um, I guess it's Weehawken. Although it might be the town north, it might be West New York, it might be North Bergen, I don't know. Just don't go there. I, I read reviews after the fact of that hospital and they were not good. They were not encouraging, let's just put it that way. And uh, I would advise, um, you know, unless you're actually like, you've impaled yourself on a fence or some such shit, and you have no choice, you're non-compass mentis, because when the uh, volunteer ambulance people showed up at our house, I think this was like the first week of October when this happened a couple of years ago. It might even be three years ago at this point. I was asked what hospital I want to go to. You know, and like a lot of people, it, I was like, take me to the nearest one, I don't know. And I should have said, take me to the one with the best reviews online. Uh, there is the shuttered movie theater over here on River Road. Big old movie theater. They're going to turn that into God knows what. I would think probably more condos. Because uh, I guess that gets you the most bang for your buck, right? If you own a piece of property around here. You don't want to put up retail because retail is dying, supposedly. And uh, you're not going to put up another... You're not going to put up another movie theater... People aren't going to the movies. What are you going to do? You're going to try to get some douchebags to pay you upwards of uh, three quarters of a million dollars to live over here on the river, the Hudson River, which is one of my all-time favorites. I've been banging around this area since 1986. It's hard to believe, but 33 fucking years. I moved to uh, Tenafly. Um, and I wish I could remember what time of year it was. Um, it, it seemed to me to be the fall, but it might have been the spring. 
I don't really know. I should try to look in my copious journals and see if I wrote anything about that particular time when I was moving out of my mother's house at the age of, uh, what was I, 23 at the time? And man, I should have probably left earlier than that. But I didn't. But opportunity presented itself. A friend of mine who I knew from the music scene, from the hardcore music scene, had a big house in Tenafly, New Jersey. And uh, I could have probably squeezed that lemon. I probably could have gone through that yellow light, but it's a good thing I didn't because here's a pedestrian crossing the street as we speak. Um, and, you know, so uh, I found out through this guy's ex-wife that he wanted to rent a room in his house in Tenafly, and it was going to be $200 a month, which is what I could afford at the time. And um, I took this little bit of money that I had from being rear-ended by a checker cab in uh, Long Island City, Queens, and I moved out. I got the hell out of my mother's house in Lindenhurst out on Long Island. And we had one hell of a time. I lived there like five and a half years, pissing off the neighbors, because we obviously kind of brought the whole property value thing down with our antics, throwing loud parties, being slobs, you know, being young guys, early, you know, in their early 20s. Is this Jeep gonna go and make a lane change without looking? Um, and for the most part, I lived there alone. The guy that I moved in with, this guy Jeff, he moved out to New Mexico not long after I became his uh, housemate to look after his mother while his father was going back and forth to the East Coast for work. His father was a banker and was traveling back and forth to the East Coast and said, hey, Jeff, I want you to go stay with your mother. At least that's what I think was going on. Who the fuck knows? But he left and he didn't really come back except a couple of times a year. He would come back like during the holidays. He'd come back at Christmas time. He'd come back in the summertime and he would stay for a week or two and then he would leave again. So for the most part, I had this big sprawling house in the bedroom community of Tenafly, New Jersey, all to myself. And it was a great place to live. Um, and probably the nicest place I've lived, you know, I lived up to that point. Uh, and then when that came to an end and the father decided that they were going to sell the place. Cause I, I mean, I, I think the house had been bought as a gift, wedding gift for Jeff and his bride, this woman, Donna, who is now no, no longer with us. Neither one of them are with us any longer. Jeff uh, had a bit of a drinking problem and he ended up falling asleep with a pot of water boiling on the stove and it ended up dying of smoke inhalation. And Donna had some kind of cancer, I think blood cancer. So they're both gone. Uh, but at one point, 
Jeff decided he was going to stay in New Mexico and he wasn't living in this place anymore. And his father said, we got to unload it. And they sold it. And God knows how much they got for it. But I think that was, uh, let's see, I moved in in, in 86, thereabouts. I was there like five years. So I think by 92, I had moved out to Edgewater, New Jersey. I just went past my old block over here under Cliff Avenue in Edgewater and uh, moved into a room in a house with a, uh, the room had a big picture window. I could lie in my bed and look out at the George Washington Bridge. It was a nice room. I managed to have, was it one cat or two cats? I think I had two cats living there with me at the time because uh, in Tenafly, Jeff had a cat when I moved in and then I got another cat from a friend of mine. So uh, Jeff had left the cats with me and then when I moved, I took the cats with me. At one point, I drove Jeff's cat and my cat down to Asheville, North Carolina where Jeff's parents had moved to and um, he took the cats. But I lived in that room in Edgewater with a succession of transient housemates who were attracted by the low rent, I'm sure. I don't think uh, any of the rooms, and I think I paid like 450 for my room. So uh, there was the room upstairs where I lived, there was another room upstairs where the landlord lived, and there was a room downstairs off of the kitchen, and that was probably the cheapest room in the house. And then there was common areas. It was a weird house, um, kind of, you know, something that had been built and then added on to repeatedly and it didn't really look very interesting architecturally and you know there wasn't a yard to speak of you really couldn't go out in the backyard I don't even know if I had access to the backyard if there was one um, so really I was kind of just in my room and then I would go into the kitchen to make a meal or something but you were never alone if you were in the kitchen. It was always the person in the room off the kitchen. And it was just a weird arrangement. And especially, you know, with the landlord living there. Some people just can't drive to save their fucking lives. I swear to God. Um, but it was cheap. And it was convenient. And I forget where the hell I was working at the time. But, you know, I couldn't drive to work and come home and park. And Edgewater was a different place then, man. They didn't, they hadn't built up the waterfront like they they have now. And my local bar was this great bar overlooking the Hudson River with a brilliant view of uh, um, the Upper West Side of Manhattan and Harlem and the George Washington Bridge. And you could sit at the bar and look out at the city and it was full of, um, you know, people who worked for a living, blue-collar types. It was a blue-collar bar called The Lookout. And in the summer, they set up a bar outside, and they had clams, fresh clams and seafood. And uh, there was a two-story structure attached to the bar where they actually had rooms you could rent and live in. And for a while there, I thought I would move in there. I thought, like, how cool would it be to be in this house with a view of the Hudson, better view than I had, that's connected to a bar and a restaurant. 
years later they turned it into this upscale French place and now I see the French place is out of business and they're turning it into some kind of European gastropub uh, either way it's it's not a blue collar joint anymore and I Edgewater's not a blue collar town anymore either all this shit you know the good money's driving out the bad money as they say that's what happens so I spent like two and a half years in Edgewater and um, I have been going back and forth to Hoboken like every day because all my friends lived in Hoboken my best friend lived in Hoboken and I have been going back and forth to WFMU which at the time was in West Orange the uh, actually East Orange I should say the house that we moved into eventually um, but those were the two sort of uh, the two poles that my life spun around and uh, one day a friend of mine called me and said hey there's this apartment for rent around the corner from me and it was on Adams Street by um, 6th Street in Hoboken just north of 6th Street and I went and looked at it. It was a nice apartment, railroad apartment. No air conditioning. They didn't have good enough electric. Not enough amperage for air conditioning. But the rent was like $5.75 a month, which I could afford. And uh, I really couldn't, I didn't want to stay in, Ed, in uh, Edgewater anymore because I didn't have privacy. So I moved into this railroad ground floor apartment in Hoboken and I was there almost 13 years putting up with that place oh my god I mean I set up my apartment pretty nice it was a pretty interesting apartment um, but you know you could walk in the front door and see all the way to the back door sorry I'm getting on the Palisades Parkway and I'm having to do it swiftly But, you know, that was a tough place to live, too, because everybody thought I, w I had the superintendent's apartment. Everybody thought I was the super, so, um, you know, they would buzz my buzzer to get let into the building, and I would have to go out and see who the person actually was and ask what they wanted. And then they, you know, sometimes they would knock on my door thinking it was the superintendent. Superintendent was the landlord's sister who lived, like, on the top floor. She had this near-do-well son who was always in trouble with the law. So periodically when my buzzer would buzz and I would go and look who was at the front door in the vestibule, it would be a bunch of Hoboken police officers wanting to be let into the building. And I would let them in. What are you going to say? No? I can't let you in? At one time they chased this kid into the building, the superintendent's sister's son. And I guess he was a purse snatcher or some goddamn thing, and he had run up to the roof. I remember that. But he was a weird kid, man. He used to pace in the so-called backyard, which was a paved lot, really. They had paved the entire backyard in concrete. And uh, there was not a single blade of grass anywhere to be found in this backyard. And he would go back there, and he would smoke cigarette after cigarette after cigarette. And uh, you would see them. Like, occasionally I would step out in the backyard. I, I didn't have permission to go into that backyard either, but sometimes I would go out there. 
Um, and there would just be cigarette butts as far as the eye could see. Like, he never picked up his cigarette butts. He just left them there to accumulate. And uh, for years and years and years, I, I didn't have air conditioning because, again, they didn't have the right amperage to support air conditioners. So during the summer, it would get brutally hot in there. You could put a fan in the front window and a fan in the back window, and it did little to nothing. And I remember like six years or so after I moved in, they finally upgraded the electricity and I was able to get a window air conditioner. And then I worried constantly that someone was gonna push in the window air conditioner and break into my apartment. So the, uh, yeah, the, there was a succession of people coming and going from that place too. There were assholes that moved in and had loud parties and then at one point there was this cute uh, turned out to be a flight attendant who moved in across the hall from me and um, for a while there I thought might be a romantic interest and I think we might have even gone out at one point and then just as quickly as she moved in she moved out again it was weird and uh 12 and a half years later to almost 13 years later, I moved out to the current place we live in Weehawken and we've come to love that town and love that place and love our little neighborhood even though our neighbors keep coming and going. I mean, nobody's there any longer from, uh, I shouldn't say that, there are a few neighbors who are still there uh, and we appreciate that. But a lot of people have moved the hell out, and it's weird. You find yourself uh, with brand new neighbors constantly. Well, here I am on the lovely Palisades Parkway northbound, which, thanks to Mamie Eisenhower, doesn't have any billboards on it. One of the reasons I like driving on the Palisades, and the other is like during the winter, you can see through the trees get the view. Ah, there's the Alpine Tower, the first FM radio tower anywhere put up by the inventor of FM, Major Edwin Howard Armstrong in the 1930s, I believe, and now home to uh, all kinds of radio stations. Used to be able to drive onto the property and visit it, and you can't do that anymore. It's all uh, gated and locked. But I did drive up there one time and went and visited the little um, building at the base of the tower. Spoke to one, uh, one of the caretakers there, or whatever the hell the guy was. I'm not sure who he was. And he gave me a little bit of a tour. And I got to look at some old broadcasting equipment and it's, it was cool. But I can get a good view of it now because, uh, the, again, the trees are bare and it is festooned with antennas and it, it's a rather large transmission tower it really should be landmarked if it's not um, and I gotta say Major Armstrong was prescient in where he put it because it's on this um, you know on the on top of the Palisades high above the Hudson River we're a hundred feet above the Hudson River it's got really good elevation and from the top of that tower you get a great sight of Manhattan 
I think somewhere online there's actual footage of uh, Major Armstrong climbing on that tower. But uh, I'm going to stop recording and I'll do the other half of the show on the way back. How's that? Alright, well, it's uh, just after 3 p.m. And I'm leaving Jim's house, which, according to my odometer, is pretty much exactly 50 miles from my house. And uh, we had a nice time, hung out a little bit, worked on uh, this old amplifier of mine. Had to do a couple of things to it. And now I'm turning around in his driveway, pointing my car south. And I hope to be home by 4.30. I don't know what I'm gonna hit now that school is getting out. I thought about stopping for some gas, but the hell with it. This is Aerial View on thehoundnyc.com. This is Chris T recording on my phone because despite the fact that I own, look at this fucking dick. Just pull out in front of me, you asshole. There you go. Despite the fact that I own all kinds of high-end recording gear, did I think to actually bring any of it with me? No. I did not. So, uh, this episode, I'm recording it on Wednesday, and it will air on Friday. Boy, everyone's got a big honkin' pickup truck around here. It's kind of like you've gone upstate New York and this isn't that far upstate. I'm just above the town of Peekskill, in case you're wondering. Uh, it's always nice to hang out with Jim. He's one of my oldest, dearest friends. I've known him since uh, junior high school, about the age of 12. We get along for the most part. I, I don't think we've had any real bad disagreements in all the time that we've known each other, which is at this point, can it be like 44 years? And you have the kind of rapport with him. I have the kind of rapport with him that you have with somebody you've known a really long time who have been there and been around ever since you were a child. In April, we're gonna do a road trip. I'm looking forward to. We're gonna head down to North Carolina and then over to Memphis. And Jim is doing some recording at Sun Studios. So I hope to document that right here on Aerial View. Shoot some video of the band while they're down there at Sun Studios. But right now, I am hoping to be home before the real traffic starts. When I mentioned to Sweet Tea what time I was hoping to get on the road, I said I want to be on the road by 3 o'clock. She said, that's when school gets out. I said, if I'm on the road by 3 o'clock, maybe I'll avoid the worst traffic. But no. So far, I haven't seen any 
signs of school getting out. So, uh, right now I'm headed west on Route 6 slash 202 over to Bear Mountain. I'm gonna go across the Bear Mountain Bridge over the Hudson River, very scenic bridge, always liked that bridge. Right now I'm hoping not too many of these assholes pull out in front of me. This asshole just did. And on the way to Jim's, I got stuck behind a big old box truck, delivery truck, that decided to go up and down this mountain at 15 miles under the posted speed limit, 15 miles an hour. And to my left, over my left shoulder, I could see the Indian Point nuclear power plant. So close, it's like you could reach out and touch it. And here is the New York Army National Guard at Camp Smith. I think they're decommissioning Indian Point. I hope they are anyway. Alright, and now I am making my way up the mountain. Always like this twisty mountain road. This must be catnip for motorcyclists. Jim and I talked about a lot of things. We always get caught up when we see each other and uh, talked about what it means to live in the age of anxiety and just how weird everything is and how polarized everything is and how everybody hates everybody else and there's all this cancel culture going on and social justice warriors and uh, it's also exhausting I don't envy the young however as much as I'd like to be young I think that Young people today have a much more difficult time of it than we did with all the pressure to succeed and the pressure to go to a good school and get a nice degree that will guarantee a, you can have a job. And are there any guaranteed jobs anymore? I don't know. I mean, from where I sit right now, I can kind of see retirement looming over the horizon. If I can make it another nine, 10 years, I can start cashing that sweet, sweet social security ka-ching. Wouldn't that be something? But as much as I'd like to figure out a way to make life less stressful, make it a little more laid back I was going to say easy going but I'm not even sure I know what that means I do believe that humans get taken over by entropy and it becomes really difficult to change either yourself or your situation your dwelling wherever you happen to be We've been in our house, it'll be 12 years this April, 
So in another month, and in those dozen years, we've become attached to the place. Understandably so. And the thought of leaving sometimes, I feel like I'm breaking out in hives. Because I'll get so anxious about the idea of packing the place up and going someplace else. Now, the other place we go to could be better than the place we left. Who knows? Maybe we would have a house with lots of natural light, which we don't really have right now. Maybe, I don't know, just someplace with more nature, less sirens. I could go for that. There's this one house in particular I found on Zillow that I've kind of been fascinated by and and I've been fantasizing about figuring out a way to to buy it, but that's it's, it's a fantasy. I know that. But I don't think we're ready yet. I don't know when we will be ready. I don't know at what point we'll decide. Someone said to me, when you know, you'll know. I don't know what that means. I kind of know what that means. You'll know when the time is right. But then you got this fear of missing out shit, this FOMO, where you're like, yeah, it's got to be now and it's got to be that place. Not somebody else is going to buy it. Ah, uh, look, it's the scenic area. A lot of people slowing down to take in the scenic view. Speaking of views, this is aerial view. Man, I don't mind that you guys are slowing down and taking the view, but you, do you have to do it when you're going uphill? Do you have to slow down while you can't you get to the crest of the fucking hill first? They slow down, you're going uphill, and now you're going backwards, down the hill. You douchebag. Oh, is that the Bear Mountain Inn over there? I think I could see the Bear Mountain Inn because it's winter time and the trees are bare. It's a nice view. Very, very scenic. I wish Sweet Tea was here. Bear Mountain Bridge is a cute bridge if you've never seen it. It's a good looking bridge. Almost looks like a miniature George Washington Bridge. It's a old, you know, girder beam suspension bridge. If I wasn't driving and recording, I would take my phone and take a picture of it. I'm so tired of these small-dicked men in their massive pickup trucks. I really should order, like, some magnets that I can slap on the back of these things. And it would just be, like, a picture of a small penis, micro-penis. And around it, it would say, Ask me about my small penis. And then when they're in the store getting whatever they're getting, I would sneak it onto the under the back of their pickup truck, on the on the gate, the tailgate of the bed. And they probably wouldn't notice it. They'd probably drive and drive and drive around like that. That would be funny. 
Is that West Point right over there too? What is that I could see? I don't like going over bridges, but I sure like the view. And I like this toll house here. They got a cute little toll house. I wonder if anybody lives in that shit. It looks like it's got enough stairs. I would actually live there. Look, this is the beginning of, is this the beginning of the Appalachian Trail? There's a sign here, Appalachian Trail, look at that. All right, so now I'm gonna keep heading west and I'm gonna try to get onto the Palisades Interstate Parkway, as it's called. I never noticed this house over here. It's a cute little house right here by the entrance to the Bear Mountain Bridge. Looks like a private, private dwelling. nice I gotta say uh, currently at 54,826 miles on the odometer that's not too bad I've had to sink some money into this car but uh, it's still a kick-ass price for a car of this quality with that kind of mileage on it and for a while uh, I really couldn't make up my mind about getting rid of my diesel because I love that old car. But it was time. See, when you know, you'll know. Is that some kind of Buddhist thing? This is the lovely part of the ride. It's not until you get down into the you know, New Jersey portion of the ride that you start encountering a bunch of shitheads who are just really aggressive drivers compensating for God knows what. It's always somebody in a BMW. Sometimes it's an Audi. Uh, people who own a Lexus, they can be shitheads. A lot of these pickup truck drivers too. Here's my left exit for the Palisades Parkway. Who's gonna decide at the last minute that they have to make the left exit as well? At least I'm doing this during the day. Sometimes doing this ride at night sucks because there's no lights on this thing. And then not only do you have a douchebag in a BMW who's going way too fast, but they're crawling up your ass with their super high energy headlights on. 
supposed to run on my snow tires. And uh, I was going to leave them on until probably April, middle of April, something like that. And then I have to decide whether to get a new set of tires or not because the set that I have, uh, they're mismatched. Two different front tires. I mean, I should say the front tires are different than the back tires. Is what I should say. And uh, they're getting down to that amount of tread depth where you start thinking about buying a new set of tires. So I might have a new set of tires in my future. I uh, started running snow tires a few years ago after reading about the differences between snow tires and all-weather tires. You know, all-weather tires are really a fallacy. The rubber compound, not so great. Once you get down into the low 40s, the upper 30s Fahrenheit. So uh, when it came time to buy some tires for this car, but the tires that were on it were the original tires and they were pretty much gone. I thought, okay, we get some snow tires. It was December after all. And then later on I picked up some other rims and those rims had tires on it, had tires on them. And those rims were halfway decent. I mean, those tires were halfway decent. So I ran those for a season. But I don't know if they'll, if I'll get another season out of them, still be able to have any kind of braking distance on this car. I'm doing a steady 65 here where the speed limit is 55 and I got somebody in a Honda Odyssey van because it's always a Honda Odyssey van passing me. Probably doing 70, 75. I'm in the right lane. Toyota RAV4 passing me as well. Left lane is moving along nicely. But I'm perfectly content to sit here doing 10 miles over the speed limit. Because uh, state troopers hang out on this thing. They have little areas where they like to hide. They mess you up. last thing I need right now is a expensive speeding ticket and points on my license. So uh, just because I don't have any particular time I need to be home, I'm going to do the speed limit. This is Chris T. in the car. I got to think of a new name for this segment. I can't call it roadkill anymore because that's taken. What should I call it? I'll open it up to you. Give a call. 760 I call AV 760 I call AV If you have another name for this segment where I'm riding along in my car and talking and no uh, ride along is probably not a good name Look at this guy just came over the divider passed me on the left and then started creeping into my lane Almost like he's texting or something, huh? And I know you've heard me say this before, but I'll, I'll just reiterate how much I hate this whole SUV thing. 
that every car on the road now is an SUV. It's the rare sedan you see nowadays. Um, I'm driving one. There's a guy in front of me in one. It looks like some vintage Toyota. But other than that, everything I see is an SUV. People love those fucking things. And I guess if you have a family, sure, why not? Not for me. No, no, no. I would sooner get a Honda Odyssey minivan. Friends, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to thank you for listening to this aerial view. And if anything really outrageous or important happens, I'll go, uh, I'll start recording again. It's my promise to you. But right now, I'm going to go listen to some music. And uh, don't forget thehoundnyc.com, new hound howls every Sunday. Hey, there's a school bus at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And then crash in the party, the doo-wop chop shop of the air with Mark and Miriam, every Sunday at 5 p.m. You can also catch an aerial view replay on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. And for information on aerial view, you can go to facebook.com slash allaerialview. Here's somebody speeding along in a little Honda Accord. And then here comes somebody speeding along in a, uh, what is that, a Ford Transit? Yeah, it's got a ladder on top and the guy's doing about 80. I hope that ladder is secure, that's all I'll say. Friends, thanks again. This is Chris T saying see you later. Oh, gosh, there's a whole crowd of people here. I wonder why that is. I don't even know who's up next. Let me look at that. Oh, that's why this gentleman, he had the nerve, the audacity, the temerity to leave the airwaves. And I'm talking about the man who is here. Don't call him a DJ, but call him Mr. Chris T. Thank you, Gaylord, for that wonderful introduction. And say hello to the woohoo girls. Tamar, Megan, and Kaylee are here with me. Let's, tr- let's try this thing. Look out, mama, there's a white boat coming up the river With a big red beacon and a flag and a man on the rail I think you better call John Cause it don't look like they're here to deliver the mail And it's less than a mile away I was hoping 
us show Belock's favorite performance of the night, Chris T and Crazy Horse Meat. Is that what they're called? Yes. And wow, what an amazing performance. Chris, I, that, that, that's gonna be hard to top.